Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA Social Series. This is episode number 62. I'm Andy Katz. Wow. On this show, I've got not just one, but two Olympians. A four-time Olympian, Shantae Lowe, formerly of Georgia Tech, in the high jump. She started her career way back in 2004. Meanwhile, fresh off of qualifying in Omaha, Nebraska, Brooke Forty, now the newest member of the United States women's swim team out of Stanford. Wow, what a week and season and unprecedented times you had, Brooke. And Shante, your career has been unbelievable and everything obviously that you've gone through in your life, we've touched on all of it. And what college athletics has meant to you to get you into this position? Because certainly the Olympic movement in the United States owes a lot to college athletics because we just are not set up like a lot of those countries, certainly the way, you know, years ago, decades ago, it was set up certainly in the Eastern Bloc and the Soviet Union, the way there was sort of athletic factories leading up to that. That's not the case, certainly in the United States. So we need college athletics. But I want to first deal with the news, which is, Brooke, you, which uh, it's really unbelievable. Um, this has been a dream of yours. It's been a long quest. So I just want to get your raw reaction uh, because it came down to the final race in qualifying for the women's Olympic team. Yeah, I think it's still taking some time to sink in like the word Olympian still doesn't really seem like it fits for me, but I'm so, so excited. Um, and honestly, it's a huge honor um, to, you know, be called an Olympian alongside so many other really cool people. Um, but yeah, it was a stressful week at trials. It's been a stressful year leading up to trials. And so um, I think after that long drawn out process of waiting to see if I make the team, I think I felt more relieved than anything that that stress was over. And since the trials, I've been taking some time to sort of recover from that and um, just really change that relief into excitement for the games and, and trying to get better in these next couple of weeks until then. Well, I love your father, Pat Forty. It was a good friend of mine, worked former colleague and now at SI and by the way, has written about both of you. Uh, his own daughter and did a great story on on Shante a year ago. Uh, so I would definitely direct people to look at both of those articles at SI.com. And but um, you know, Brooke, he was touching on uh, just leading up to that moment and that decision of which event um, you know end up being the four by two hundred relay, which you know you had sort of some choices or multiple you know opportunities. How did it all narrow down into you know at least focusing on on that last race? Or that last event, excuse me. Yeah, the that's not the race that people thought I was going to qualify in. Um, and I kind of enjoyed that. Um, the race that maybe had a little more external pressure, the 400 IM was the first day of the meet. And I got sixth place in that. Um, it was a swim I was really proud of, but obviously didn't really come close to qualifying for the team. And a lot of people thought that my shot to qualify was over after that. And um, yeah, I kind of enjoyed that like little easing of the pressure. And um, I knew in my mind that I had been preparing really well for freestyle. Um, just the freestylers at Stanford, Stanford who have gotten to train with have really helped me with that and so um the 200 freestyle event I had a lot of fun with and I was really excited for and so I thought you know like I have nothing to lose at this point my hardest race is out of the way and um yeah I just really took the chance to go for one of those relay spots so Shantae 
that feeling that you've had four times beginning in 2004, a four-time Olympian, three-time NCAA national champ at Georgia Tech. Um, you can relate, I'm sure, to what Brooke felt like that anxiety of looking up at the scoreboard to see your score on the high jump, comparing it against other competitors. What's that feeling like when you hear that your name is called and you have qualified for the Olympics? Yeah, I think there's nothing like it. And especially your first one, Brooke, I'm so excited for you. Um, I remember just in the midst of my competition, I had to wait for professional athletes to actually miss bars in order for me to know I was going to make that team. And so, you know, we start out with a field of like 24, we whittled it down to 12 and then getting to the final and like having those last final jumps. And, you know, you don't want people to do bad, but then at the same time you want to go. And I remember just waiting and, and one of the best, you know, US jumpers jumped and she went over the bar and it looked like she cleared it and then it wiggled and it came off. And in that moment, I knew I was an Olympian and there is nothing else like that feeling. I remember it like it was yesterday. And just like you, it's like, you know, I love being that surprise. Nobody was expecting me to make that team. And so I was very, very happy. I didn't even have a passport. I wasn't even really, really ready, but I knew that um, my coach in college had prepared me for that moment. And I was only a sophomore in college when I made that team. So I can relate to you know, the value of being in such an amazing system and how it really started my Olympic career. So obviously this is not gonna be the same kind of Olympic experience. Uh, and I don't wanna dampen it, Brooke, but you know, it's gonna obviously be much more controlled environment in Tokyo because of COVID and their situation with COVID, but, and the Olympic village won't be the same, but the Olympic experience of being on that deck and for you on that field, Shante, what should Brooke experience and expect to experience in terms of being able to quell some of those nerves. Yeah, I think that for me, I had nobody to tell me that it was going to be, you know, it, you're going to be nervous, of course. But at the same time, I saw Olympians last Olympics in 2016 that were young, that it was their first team and they seized that opportunity and they walked away with medals around their neck. So don't listen to anyone that would tell you to expect anything different, but go enjoy the moment. And the first Olympics that I went to, it was the first one after 9-11. So it was different too. The only thing to expect is the unexpected. Every Olympic games is gonna be different, but you you have the right mindset that you're gonna go in there. You're gonna train these next couple of weeks and prepare for your moment because you earned it and you deserve it. And you're gonna have a great time. <laughs> Brooke, is your passport updated? It is, yep. Okay. I think I'm set to go. <laughs> All right. So, you know, you, we mentioned Stanford and Georgia Tech, and I want to shift to that here for a moment. Um, obviously, you've got Stanford teammates led by Katie Ledecky, who's a good friend of yours and classmate. So first overall, what has that meant to you to be a Stanford swimmer swimming with Olympians as you prep for this moment? Yeah, I think it's it's meant everything um, in getting me to this point. I I came from a really great club at Lakeside, um, and that was, in was really, yeah, in Louisville. I was really fortunate to have that. Um, they have produced multiple Olympians. I had a great training group there, but I would have never had the opportunity to train with people like Katie Ledecky, like um, Simone Manuel, and honestly, the entire rest of our college team, who is just, you know, the most elite female athletes um, in the country. And so I would have never had that opportunity had I not come to Stanford. And I think just the 
the improvement that I saw day to day just from being surrounded by that group is what has let me come to this point. Well, and even this year in an unprecedented season of trying to find pool time a year ago through the summer and then an abbreviated season this time, how much did the Stanford experience, even amid a pandemic, allow you to get to, into this position? Yeah, this, this year was really hard. Um, you know, we were online for school all year. We had very, very strict COVID protocols. Um, we weren't really doing anything outside of school in practice. Um, we had very few competitions, but we were lucky that we just, we had our facility open at Stanford and we had that dedicated group of girls who, you know, despite everything going on, we were all coming in focused every day and just doing what we could given the circumstances. And um, again, I wouldn't have been able to make it through those times probably without the, that group. So let's go back to 04, Shante. Uh, at that time, what did being a member of the Georgia Tech track and field team do for you? Yeah, similar to like what Brooke was saying, I was exposed to amazing, amazing athletes that were on the track. And even if I didn't get the train at the same time as them, just being able to see them and knowing that they were around. Um, the 1996 Olympics brought amazing athletes from all over the world. And my school was in Atlanta. So I still got to train on one of the practice facility tracks. I got to jump on one of the practice facility high jump pits. And my training partner, you know, once school was over was um, the American indoor record holder in the women's high jump. So I got to see what it looked like to be an Olympian. And it, I got to dream about it every single day. So just having, it's like an atmosphere. They carry themselves different. I don't know if Brooke can attest to that, but like the way they warm up, the way they, you know, they sacrifice different things. And, and so I was able to start adapting and, and adopting some of those qualities. And then at the same time, you know, Stanford's an amazing school. Georgia Tech is also a very difficult and challenging school. I knew I was also getting an education. So it was like, like the perfect storm of everything that I needed, training facilities, Olympic motivation, um, a great education, and, and it just all came together at the right time. And I, I, I feel blessed that if I didn't have that experience, I don't think I would have made it to four Olympic games. So Brooke, you know, I, I don't, you know this doesn't need to be just the Stanford show in, in that sense, but we can't dismiss the excellence in a, in a lot of these sports at Stanford that have produced not just national championships, but Olympic Olympians. I mean, I think about women's tennis and women's volleyball, and women's basketball, and obviously swimming. Um, what has it been like for you to just be around elite athletes, some potential Olympians, uh, others who are simply just national champions? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I think like my first couple of years at Stanford, I took it for granted a little bit just because it was like, seemed like every couple of weeks there was like another national championship for Stanford or, um, you know, a new like world championship team member in your class or something like that. Um, and I didn't really realize at first, like how rare that is. So it's really just cool to see. Um, but yeah, I think there's just a great environment here of people who are dedicated to both school and athletics at the same time. Um, and, and we inspire each other. Like I remember at a football game, I think my freshman year, they honored the Rio Olympians on the field of the football game. And there were so many of them. And I was like, ah, oh, that is so cool that they all went here. And like, they all had that experience together. So Brooke used the word inspiration. Um, that word 
has justly been applied to you, Shante. Uh, you were last year's Inspiration Award winner for the NCAA, and I was uh, privileged and honored uh, to emcee that virtual award ceremony. Uh, you've gone through an unbelievable journey to get to this point, let alone, as I said, a four-time Olympian, three-time national champion, um, maybe one of your, not one of, the best thing. You're a mother of three, uh, so right off the bat. Uh, and you are a cancer survivor. I mean, you have gone through breast cancer, double mastectomy, and here you are still competing at the highest level. Uh, how have you done all this? Yeah, um, thank you for that. I think like even getting the, the even being awarded the Inspiration Award inspires me. And, and whenever I feel tired or I feel like I have a moment where I wanna feel sorry for myself or, or look back, I just think of all the people that my story has touched and inspired. And, and you know, we all go through difficult challenges. And we just saw that with going through COVID that, you know, there, there's times where we feel isolated or alone or that the battle is just too hard for us. But um, I think that in getting that award, it's pushed me to keep going and, and seeing my children's face. Like you said, I have three kids, um, seeing their faces every day and knowing that, you know, when they see mommy going through something so hard, so difficult, losing my hair and eyelashes and eyebrows, but to still get up every day and still put one foot in front of the other, still go out there and, and, and really try to reach other people. And I think when they see that it's not just selfish and ambition, but doing it out of a place of love. And even today I was showing my husband, I got a, another message where a friend said, one of their friends found out that they had breast cancer and I'm the first person that they call. And I, I, I feel like it's an honor to be able to take that time and, and talk them through my own experience because I feel like everything difficult that I went through but found a solution for it wasn't in vain because now that wealth of knowledge could help somebody else. And so um, obviously it's not a club you wanna be in, but now that I'm here, I feel that it's something that um, a lot of people can benefit from. And so I've made that my mission and, and, and my stake in life to do that. And to be able to still compete on the world's level is so exciting to me. You know, I missed out on the Olympics because our whole family got COVID, but we have the world championships here next year. And, and being able to see the athletes like Brooke and, and the new generation of amazing um, um, athletes that we have produced here in this country uh, makes me excited to be able for the first time in over almost two decades to be able to watch the Olympics from home. And I'm looking forward to that. Brooke, when you hear that story, uh, and I know you've read also, uh, as I mentioned, your dad wrote a great piece on Shante. And here, despite every obstacle and you know awful thing that's been thrown at Shante, she still had that drive to be an Olympian, even this year, still trying. How much does that make you even just embrace what you accomplished and the drive that you see other people that have to go through to get to this stage? Yeah, it's incredible. I think you're so cool, Shante. Just wanna say that. Um, but I think, yeah, every Olympian probably that you talk to has some sort of, you know, battle that they've gone through to get to that point because it's so hard. Um, and like just from talking to swimmers, you know, I can get to know their story of how they got there and just be inspired by every single one of them. Um, you know, obviously some are, are more 
um, inspiring than others. But I think, you know, if you take the time to get to know any Olympian, their story is just usually really unique and powerful. And so um, that's something, again, I just feel so honored to be a part of that group of people. Um, and, and yeah, I, I still can't believe it. Um, Brooke, your family uh, is a swimming family outside of your dad. Uh, your mom swam at Northwestern. Uh, your two young, uh, excuse me, older brothers swam in the SEC, one at Georgia, one at Missouri. Um, so those are all solid, high-level college athletic programs. Um, with that being said, how much does that show to you the need to make sure we preserve these kinds of programs across the country? Yeah, it's absolutely essential, you know, for our Olympic sports to have these college programs. Um, like I said, I would not be anywhere near the level that I'm at if I hadn't had the opportunity to swim at Stanford. Um, I probably wouldn't even have gotten into swimming had my mom not swum at Northwestern and my older brothers gotten scholarships to swim in college. Because um, that was always my goal growing up was just to get a college scholarship. Um, I never really imagined much beyond that. Um, so, you know, that's what I think is a huge incentive to get kids into swimming for parents to put their kids into Olympic sports is the college education piece of it. And then like they can really blossom from there. Um, and again, just bringing athletes of similar calibers together at these colleges, like that can't happen if um, the Olympic sports aren't being supported. So Shante, there is a great movement. Um, it is the US Olympic Paralympic Committee that is doing now a college sports sustainability think tank. Uh, I'm not going to be naive and to think that there's not a financial aspect going on around the country. But throughout the pandemic, we saw that they didn't cut the high level sports. If anything got cut, it was, for lack of a better term, the Olympic sports. I don't like using the term non-revenue, but the Olympic sports. Um, and you know, a lot of them were on the chopping block in various parts of the country. Some have been able to fight back and get, you know, uh, uh, re um, you know, be brought back, but that's not easy. What can this group do to convince athletic directors, presidents across the country that we need this, not just for the Olympic movement, but also uh, for the betterment of student athletes and students across the country to give great depth and breadth to these institutions of higher learning? Absolutely. I think that if we're only looking at the bottom line. We're not seeing the intrinsic value of having Olympic athletes represent your school around the world. We're not only um, trying to attract students from within our own country and our own borders. We're also wanting the world to see our institutions as a viable place for them to come and pursue their education. And I think that when it comes to sports, there's an empowerment that young women have just being able to, you know, that might not be in a revenue producing sport, but being able to encourage the younger generations to tap into um, resources that they might not have available to them. Me personally, if I didn't have a scholarship, I would not have went to college. I am the first person in my family to be able to go to college and graduate. So there's a cycle of poverty that was um, very prevalent in my family from generation, generation, generation that broke with me because I was able to obtain a college education. Now my 13 year old is already talking about the colleges that she's going to go to, as well as my other two kids, because they feel like, well, this is what our family does. And you talked about the tradition about Brooke's family. And it's like, it's because they saw their mom do it. And then 
the brothers followed along and then she followed along and then her kids they'll probably follow along you know even if it's not in swimming it's going to it's it's something that their family does it creates a culture and so i think that when we think about it from that standpoint and think about um the value that not only it brings the university, but it brings to our country as a whole and really tapping into finding ways to reduce, um, um, like I, in my case, poverty, those cycles early on. I think that um, that's something that has to be taken into account. And I think that when, when you find a way to be in a think tank or have people that actually understand the nuances that come with an Olympic athlete and the value that it brings, then we're all coming together from different perspectives to be able to um, get that information out, help people see it, not just bottom line and what, what the dollar sign says. Well, if both of you can comment on this, um, obviously, Sean, in the back end at the Olympics, but also, Brooke, I know you have competed internationally um, in previous years. And as I said at the beginning, all the countries do it differently. You know, they have basically almost state-sponsored athleticism at the top, you know, to get to this point. Obviously, it was more, you know, in the 70s and 80s in the Eastern Bloc, but it still happens in all these countries. Uh, you know, it happens in Russia and in China, where, you know, some of their top athletes are basically in a feeder system to get to this point. And I don't know, Brooke, I mean, if you can help me out here, and then Shantae, what has that been like knowing that you're competing against, you know, someone who's basically had the support of the government versus the need, in your case and others, to have a college environment or else you're not getting to that level. Yeah, um, I, I can't speak too much to, to what the other countries do. I don't know a ton of the details behind it, but I mean, you can tell the difference between um, you know, the American preparation and a lot of the other countries when you show up at a meet. And I, I think it's such an advantage to us in the US because we have that um, just competitiveness of growing up like all the way through and then definitely in college. Um, so we're, we're practiced at competing against each other and um, at working together as teams. And then, you know, when we get to the highest level, like an international competition, it's nothing new to us. And we're ready to, you know, compete against other countries. Um, I also think it's just a lot of fun the way we do it with the college system. Like college swimming is my absolute favorite thing to do. Um, just being in that team environment. And, and that translates really well against being on Team USA at international competition. Wait, before you answer Shante, you say you noticed the difference. What have you noticed, Brooke? Um, I think just, you know, the, it just seems a little bit like, you know, other countries they show up and it's like they've been pro athletes since they were really, really young. And, you know, everything they do is just, um, you know, geared towards competition. It's like very structured, um, the way they've been doing things, you know, their entire lives. Um, whereas we show up, we, you know, as a team, we've been together for maybe two weeks at a training camp before that competition. We all come from different backgrounds. Um, we're all sort of bringing different training style racing styles together as team usa but um you know so we maybe look like a little bit more of a mess than the other teams but then in competition it works out great and and i think that is one of our strengths shante what have you noticed yeah definitely i i think that when i went over to europe for the first time because for us the majority of our competitions are across the ocean in europe and i noticed that there were people my age that were already professional and i was i was stunned but what I do realize is that in our system, we have well-roundedness and we're not only 
um, in our college system, we're not only competing, but we're also going to school. And so when we get to make that transition where we're professional athletes full time, you see a catapult from maybe college performance to professional ranks where we're actually able to compete even better on the world stage. But then on top of that, if the system worked correctly, we also finish with a degree. And so I think that, you know, when a lot of these professional athletes, they, they battle mental health and battle um, depression if they do not have a system set up to where they have something after. And I think that in our system, we have something like a catching net. Like if you get injured or if you decide that you no longer are in love with the sport or if you want to you know, move on with your life, you have something to catch you. And, and that's your education where in those other systems, that's not emphasized. And so there's a lot of confusion when it comes time to say goodbye to you know, your spikes or hang up your swim cap, like you, you don't know what's next. And so I think our system has really solidified that and taught us how to be resilient throughout these different trials. You might have a a test <laughs> that you have to study for at the same time as competing in the biggest stage of your life. And, and that's where we've really excelled. And I think it's a great, great system. All right. So uh, help me out here. I don't think I'm off base in these two particular sports and swimming and track and field. And obviously for you specifically the high jump, if we didn't have college athletics in these disciplines, uh, 10, 12 years of, you know, four or five Olympics from now. Uh, I don't see how we would compete. You help me out, bro. I mean, if there was no college swimming, what are the chances that an American swimmer could be good enough to compete on the international stage for an Olympic medal? I think it'd be really hard. Um, you can look at our Olympic team roster for this year and it's like probably 80% our NCAA athletes are former NCAA athletes and you know that's not an accident at all um it, even me like it's helped me um when I get to big competitions like I know I've been in high pressure situations before from competing in the NCAA um and so you know I think that's just a small piece of like why those athletes end up being successful on the biggest stage. Shantae I I don't know where you high jump if you don't have a platform at the college level um, where would we be in some of those field events without college track and field? Yeah, you know, we bring in the most medals, swimming and track and field combined, bring in the most medals for our country. And so I do not see, if we did not have that college program, um, I don't see us having the, being the top in the world as far as medal count. And the reason why is because it is very expensive to train. It is very time consuming. It's hard to find the right coach. It's hard to find the right training partners and college, our college program has put all of those things together, very nicely packaged. And um, if we did not have that, I don't see how people can come straight out of high school and be able to afford that type of training, you know, or, or be able to afford to put together that type of training group. So I, I definitely would not see us at the top of the leaderboards if, if those things happened. So one last thing on that, and I think that's a great point, Shante, is cost. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we gave a shout out there to Lakeside in Louisville, but the reality, Brooke, um, if you didn't have a college swim team to train with, uh, how cost ineffective would it be for the majority of people if you had to constantly, always pay for pool time? Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to go to Stanford without swimming. I would not be able to, to train on my own without 
um, you know, going through Stanford's program. So, and, you know, I know that wouldn't be just for me, it'd be for the majority of athletes. Um, so yeah, it would be impossible. Well, and, and, and an appropriate Olympic size swimming pool that would meet all the same standards that you would have internationally. How about Shante? Uh, as I said, like, where does one set up a high jump if they're not, it's already set up for them? Yeah, to be honest with you, I have absolutely no clue. And, and even for me, that was proven in 2016. I was training at a university. I went to the Olympic trials. I came back and my high jump pit was gone. So like it threw me off my game and it's something that I, that I rely on to be able to have those schools and those facilities to be able to train. And I think just even on the track, you can't run in the street you know, and expect to be amazing on the track. It's just, you, you need to have those facilities and need to have access in order for um, yourself to be able to compete on the world's greatest stage. All right, so last point, let's do our final sales pitch, Brooke and Shantae. What is the main reason, the key component for the sustainability of these Olympic sports at the collegiate level to prepare Olympic athletes? Brooke and Shantae. Gosh, um, there's so many good reasons. I think you can list them <laughs> for me personally. The biggest thing has just been access to training partners, coaches and facilities. I would not have had that had I not gone to Stanford and, and not competed um, in the NCAA. You know, my two of my teammates are on the Olympic team with me. My coach is the head Olympic coach for the swim team. Um, so I feel like I couldn't have been set up better by the NCAA. Shantae? Um, there's a study by Ernst & Young that say, I think it says 80 to 90% of all women that work in the C-level suite were NCAA student athletes. And it's just being able to produce a well-rounded person that's not only great on the field, but that's great in the boardroom. And I think that, you know, even throughout this COVID pandemic where we saw disparities where several women were the ones that were leaving the workforce to take care of children and, and and a lot of different things that happen, but, but if athletics helps you become resilient, it helps you um, know how to handle high pressure situations, it prepares you for life. And I think that just the benefit to women alone is an argument that, that we need to continue um, NCAA athletics and sports that, that push us into the Olympic field because we are producing amazing women in the workforce because of it. And so I think that it's something that needs to continue, something that needs to be fought for. And, um, you know, we're doing an amazing job at it. So we need to keep doing it. If it's working, don't, if it's not broken, don't fix it. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna end here, Shante. Next month, Brooke Forty will compete in the Olympics in Tokyo. What is your final pep talk for Brooke? take it all in. And I would say, listen more than you speak. The go talk to the older athletes, the ones that have had longevity, the coaches that have had amazing success, listen, write, take a notebook and write the stuff that they're telling you down. Because those are the little nuggets and pieces of treasure that I have taken with me throughout my entire career. They were all gathered at the dining hall in the Olympic villages. So, and, and don't be afraid to talk to athletes from other countries. If you get the opportunity, 
but try to listen more than you talk because you are going to gain a wealth of knowledge and you will not be the same athlete when you come back. And it's going to be a great thing. That good one. Good for you, Brooke. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Well, congratulations, Brooke. Uh, and Shantae on an unbelievable career and everything else that you're doing to inspire all of us. Uh, we'll all be watching Brooke at the Olympics in Tokyo next month, competing in the four by 200 relay representing the United States and Stanford. All right, that'll conclude episode number 62 here on our NCAA social series. As always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where all our social series are archived. Thanks again. We'll talk again next week.